Hi there, welcome to the Kids Way Podcast. We are a podcast committed to helping kids stay in the way of the King. And if you've never heard of King Jesus, well get ready, you are going to love Him. We pray that you would also learn more about what it means to be on His narrow way. We also use various tools to encourage and teach, from fictional stories to scripture reading, to music and sometimes even bringing in some kids to contribute. You can find us online at www.kidsway.ca and there you will find links to our Facebook page and also other info about Kidsway. Before getting into today's episode, we want to thank Jamie Souls for allowing us to use his wonderful music collection. If you would like to check out more of Jamie's music, you can find him at soulmusic.ca. That's www.solmusic.ca. Well, let's get to the story. We pray you are encouraged and pointed to King Jesus through today's episode. Hey, and welcome back to Kids Way Podcast. Today we're going to be starting a new series in the book of 1 Samuel. As a church, we've just started looking at this wonderful historical book uh, in our sermon series, and so I will follow that with our Kids Way series as well. And my good friend James Dirksen read the text for us yesterday in church, so with his permission, I will use uh, his reading of the passage from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 to 20. There was a certain man of Ramathium Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. And as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. 
She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. But I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman, woman, excuse me, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So first and second Samuel are ancient accounts in Israel's history, dating back to over 3,000 years ago, roughly around 1050 BC before Christ. So that's over a thousand years before Jesus came into the world as a baby. And this is a really an incredible amount of time to consider. My own country, uh, Canada, has only existed for about 156 years. That's not very long at all when you consider some of these events that happened over 3,000 years ago. And it's also helpful to understand that this story in 1 Samuel really comes with the backdrop of the book of Judges. And Judges is basically a very sad account of Israel's downward spiral into idolatry, into sinfulness, and into wickedness and godless living. Even the priesthood in Judges was given over to all kinds of perversions and sinfulness. And so 1 Samuel shows how God raised up uh, a final judge after the many judges God raised up a final judge in the boy Samuel. And the beginning of Samuel tells the account of how it is that Samuel comes onto the scene. And we have this passage then of a family in which Hannah was part of and how God uses the humble and desperate prayer of Hannah for a child to bring about Samuel the prophet. So, just for a few minutes, let us consider the family portrait that is given here in the opening verses of 1 Samuel. 
we're told there's our, there is a man named Elkanah. And we find from First Chronicles 6.22 that Elkanah is believed to be, um, and as First Chronicles 6 records it, in the line of the Kohaths, which puts him in the Levitical family. And this is important because this particular family line from the line of Levi, uh, they were a family of priests. They were set apart unto God. Not that all of those uh, in this family line served in the temple, but they were among the people that were to give uh, unique services to God. And this is important, especially in the life of Samuel, as he will eventually um, live in the temple and uh, he will be part of the temple worship, which was for the, the Levites according to the law which God had given. And we find in this family portrait where Elkanah has not just one wife, but two wives. Now, for our day and time, that seems rather strange. And we may wonder, um, why is that happening? Why was that allowed? Um, and in that, in that particular culture and at that particular time, this would have not been all that uncommon. But it is worth mentioning that now that we have the full uh, revelation of God through not only the Old Testament, but the New, the New Testament, and that Christ has come, who is the, 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 full, um, the full manifestation of truth, of, of the revelation of God. And John 1 tells us that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And so in Christ, we have this fuller revelation of God's will, um, even through the New Testament. And we find in the New Testament that God has always intended marriage to be between one man and one woman. And so the fact that we have these marriages in the Old Testament where there is one man and multiple women uh, does not necessarily mean that, that that is a good thing or that is something that God desired. But I think in the same way that Jesus said in Mark 10 verse 4 that God allowed divorce in the Old Testament um, because of the hardness of heart of God's people, so in a similar way God allowed this to happen uh, because of the hardness of people's heart and the fact that the, the fuller revelation of Christ had not yet been given. But even as Paul would say that there was a time of, of ignorance when God uh, maybe passed over certain sins, but now he calls all men to repent and to believe upon Christ. So that's just a little side note on the issue of polygamy. Uh, this is not according to God's design that we find in Genesis 1, where he creates one man and one woman, and they are joined in the covenant of marriage. Um, but this is the account of Elkanah and his two wives, Hannah and Panina. Now, we're told something about this family um, that becomes very important, that one wife, Panina, had children, sons and daughters, but Hannah had no children. And uh, in that particular culture, as the Jewish people, this was very devastating if they could not have children. And of course, it's still uh, very sad for people today that, that want to have children, but they're not able to for whatever reason. Um, in, in that time, it was even more devastating because the to have children was a, a sign of, of God's um, blessing, uh, as they understood it. it. It it meant that their family line would continue, and uh, it was very much tied to to Hannah's uh, role as as a wife that she she 
you know, desired to to be a mother and and to see her family name go forward, um, and and so this becomes then uh, part of of Hannah's deep sorrow and affliction that we find in First Samuel. And we also see about this family that they are God fearing. They were told go up yearly to Shiloh. Now Shiloh is the place where the tabernacle. Um, was and where the tent uh, or the um, Ark of the Covenant was. And so this was the place to go and offer the sacrifices according to the law of God. And they um, are, are wanting to be obedient to God's word. And so they go up and make these sacrifices as they are instructed. But we find that Penina uh, is no doubt jealous about Elkanah's love for Hannah. And so she would tease and mock Hannah. And this, of course, would create much tension in the home. It would be very painful for Hannah. And so we're told that this particular time that they go to make these sacrifices. And as is in the the custom, Elkanah would take from the meat offered and, and get a portion to feed his family. And he gives Hannah a double portion because we're told he loves her even though that God had closed her womb. And so this, no doubt, would would cause Penina to be very jealous. Um, Maybe you've experienced, um, you know, with some friends or maybe at home where maybe everyone is getting um, some dessert. You know, at our house, we love ice cream cake for birthdays. And when everyone's getting their piece of the cake, a lot of times people are concerned that they're getting just as much or more than the next person, right? And if somebody gets a bigger piece, even that can cause some jealousy and some tension. And so maybe that's part of what's happening here as well, that that Alcana is showing some favoritism towards Hannah and giving her an extra portion. And uh, this provokes Penina to to lash out against Hannah. And Hannah is is so sad. She is so broken. Um, and, and, and all of these things happening, no doubt, just remind her of the fact that she has no children. And so we see not only this family portrait, but Hannah's sorrow, uh, Hannah's affliction, and uh, that, that she has no children. And, and this causes her to be very sad and to despair. Now, it's interesting that we're told why Hannah has no children. It's because the Lord had closed her womb. And the womb, um, as we know, is the part of a woman's body which is able to sustain life where the baby grows. And so this imagery just means that God had prevented her from having children, that her body was not able to, to, to do that. And, uh, and yet that it's, we're told it's ultimately because the Lord had prevented her from having children. And that is an important reminder for us today in an age that wants to reduce everything to science or biology. uh, We realize that God is sovereign over even children and and all of life. Uh, In fact, Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Children are an heritage from the Lord. So they they are a gift from the Lord. Uh, And the fruit of the womb, it says, is a reward. So this is a wonderful reminder that God is in control of all aspects of life, even those things that may be very difficult and very painful. 
Now we have to, of course, be careful because as we know from James 1, God does not tempt anyone to sin, but that it's our own sinful desires that are enticed and led astray and lead us into sin and rebellion against God. Um, so God is not the author of evil. He is not the tempter, but certainly God does bring difficult and painful situations into our life in order to teach us. And as we will see with Hannah, in order to drive us to him in prayer and dependence. So Hannah is overwhelmed with sadness. And we're told that she is so sad that she can't eat uh, the supper that has been prepared. I don't know if you've ever been so sad that you don't even feel hungry anymore. And that's a, a, a very difficult spot. And, and no doubt um, it shows us that Hannah's heart was so burdened in the situation. And we're told that she's also weeping and she's, she's crying because uh, she is just hurting in this affliction. Now, Elkanah, her, her husband, uh, I think in an attempt to help, um, as we read, you know, tries to kind of, uh, I guess, supposedly encourage her to, to get over this sadness. And he makes the statement, you know, am I not more than 10 sons to you? Uh, which you know, I don't think was probably all that helpful. And sometimes as, uh, you know, as myself, as a husband, sometimes I say things that, that maybe aren't very considerate, aren't really that helpful, um, maybe set out of an element of frustration. Um, but we see that Alcana's uh, comment isn't really all that helpful. And uh, of course, Hannah, you know, seems to love her husband, but a husband is still very different than having a child. So Hannah excuses herself from the table and we're told that she goes and begins praying to God. She begins, even as she tells Eli, pouring out her soul to God. And this is uh, a wonderful demonstration of faith and maturity in the life of Hannah. Uh, we will see later on that Hannah has a high view of God. She, she knows that God is is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Um, even the phrase that is used in First Samuel here, the Lord of hosts, could mean uh, literally the Lord of armies or the uh, Yahweh of angel armies. He is, he is the God over all things. And Hannah knows this. And so she, in her, even in her sorrow, uh, goes to God in prayer and in her desperation cries out to God. And that's a wonderful example for us as well. Uh, sometimes when, when we are experiencing difficulty or pain, um, we want to maybe try and, and, and bury that in maybe just watching movies or playing video games or maybe eating. Uh, you know, we have the, the phrase comfort food, so people will turn to certain foods. Maybe it's ice cream. You know, that would be a, a weakness for me. Um, we just got a, a Dairy Queen in, in our town. So, you know, the blizzards and all of these delicious treats. Uh, sometimes we can turn to food to try and comfort us in times of difficulty. Sadly, many people turn to alcohol and they try to, to drink uh, enough to help them forget about the, the sorrow and pain in their life or um, also the use of, of drugs that are essentially poisoning your body, but they also 
give you the feeling that that everything is okay and and we can turn to so many different things in trying to uh, relieve pain or discomfort in our life but i think in hannah we have this this wonderful example of going to god in prayer and peter the apostle peter in first peter 5 6 says humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you and we need that reminder don't we that we need to come to god not only with our requests and not only to worship him and praise him and give him thanks uh, for who he is and, and what he has done for us but we're also to go and, and cast our anxieties on him uh, and, and this is, is very much what Hannah is doing. She is coming to the Lord and her heart is broken. She is so sad. Um, she, she can't take the, 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 the pain and the teasing and all of these things any longer. Uh, but instead of running to, to worldly things, she goes to God and prays, casts her anxieties on him. And, and that is something that we can do. Uh, we don't have to be in a church building uh, we don't have to, you know, have a, a priest or someone to, to pray to that they might then pray to God. No, we, uh, especially now in, in the new covenant in Christ, we are told to, to boldly come to the throne of grace that we may receive help in a time of need. So we can come to God in prayer anytime and any place and we can cast our anxieties upon him um, and, 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 and call out to him to, to help and to give us strength. Now, Hannah not only uh, cries out to God and casting her anxieties on him, she also makes a vow, which is somewhat unique. Um, in the Bible, there are vows which are dishonorable or foolish vows, promises that people make to God, um, which are very rash and uh, maybe even inconsistent with, um, with, with who God is. And then, uh, you know, one example that, that comes to mind um, that King uh, Saul, and actually we'll see this later on, he, he makes a vow that none of his men should, should eat or, or even drink, I believe, the, until they, they uh, overcome their enemies. And as a result, uh, many of, their, of his troops become um, so weak and tired. And Saul says if someone does, then they must be put to death. And and then his son Jonathan, um, as they're traveling, comes across some some honey. Um, some some bees have made some honey, and so he takes some honey from the hive to nourish his body and give strength. And uh, and then when his his father finds out about it, he's ready to kill him. And thankfully, in that uh, situation, the, the 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 people that were with him, you know, convinced Saul that that was a foolish vow to make, and that uh, should not be carried out. That uh, he should not put his son to death. So there are foolish vows in the Bible, but this vow of Hannah is not among those. There are honorable vows that express uh, faith to God and trust in God. And so she says to God that if he would grant her her desire for a son, that she would devote that son to God, that she would in turn uh, give him to the Lord as one of the Lord's servants and and we will see that unfold in, in the, the weeks to come. But we also see reference to this vow of the Nazarite. Now remember, 
we saw this, uh, well, I, I mentioned it anyways, with the life of Samson, um, that Samson, um, born in kind of a similar way, he was born to parents who could not have children. Um, and in Samson's case, an angel of the Lord came to Manoah and his wife and told him that Samson would be given to them as a judge, as one to delivers the people of Israel. And he remember Samson was not supposed to cut his hair. Uh, this was part of the vow of the Nazarite. And of course, when Samson's case, he ended up telling uh, Delilah, who was one of from among the pagan nations, uh, she, he told her that 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 was the, the 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 vow that he had made before God, and so she secretly has his hair cut when he's sleeping, which then causes him to lose his strength. So this is what is going on in in Hannah's vow. She she mentions his hair not being cut. This is the vow of the Nazarite, which is a way of demonstrating that someone is devoted to the Lord. And so Hannah, uh, as she's praying, there is this priest Eli, who is the son, uh, sorry, the father of the, the priests anyways, Hophni and Phineas. He is probably at an age more of retirement here. But he sees Hannah praying and uh, she's obviously upset. You know, you can imagine the scene. Hannah is crying. Um, Hannah is is probably trembling. She's, um, you know, pouring out her soul to God. We're told that that she is praying in her heart. So she's not praying out loud, but her mouth is moving. So she's uh, mouthing the words that she is praying to God in her heart. And Eli concludes, this woman has been drinking. She seems like a drunk woman. She's, she looks kind of crazy. She's uh, acting very strange. So he goes to, to um, basically tell her to, to get out of there, to, to go on and rebuke her as a sinful woman. Uh, but then as Hannah explains to him what's happening, he realizes that she's not uh, a godless woman, but in fact is earnestly praying to God for um, a child. And, uh, and so he in turn blesses her and, um, and says that may God grant you, you know, your request. And we're told that Hannah then uh, gets up, she eats her food and uh, you know, would go to bed. Um, that she wasn't given a direct answer at this time. There was no angel that we know of, no audible voice that she heard, no angel of the Lord, as in Manoah's case. But just the, the assurance that, that God had heard her prayer, even as Eli had said, and that her anxieties, her, her sorrow and affliction, she had cast it on to God. And so she's able to, to move forward and leave the answer in God's hands. Now we're told the next day they get up and they worship. And so here she is, even in a time of uncertainty yet, uh, worshiping God, which is also a wonderful example for us to worship God in all seasons of life. And then we're told that they, uh, they make their way home and then God answers her prayer. That her and Elkanah, her husband, do in fact have a child and her prayer is answered in this way for a son. And we're told that she in due time, so she would have you know, carried the, the baby as mothers do for around that nine month mark. And then in time, uh, she has a little boy 
and names him Samuel. And uh, the, the name Samuel uh, it re- reminds us that, that God is our strength. It, it means the God of strength and power. And so she names him Samuel, and we see this wonderful answer to her prayers. And so there's many lessons for us to learn here. We see that that God is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises, and part of his promise to uh, Abraham was that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars, and through him all the nations would be blessed. And so even though Israel had rejected God as their king, God still raises up a judge, a faithful prophet who will proclaim the word and will really um, prepare the way for the king of Israel, for David, whom will set up the the, the Davidic uh, reign in Israel. And it would be in that Davidic covenant that Christ himself would come. And this story in many ways points us to Jesus. There is a long line of of barren women uh, that lead us to Christ. And we would even know that uh, a thousand years after all of these events, God would come to another couple who couldn't have a child, to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And God would tell them that they are going to have a son as well and that his name is to be John and that John will be a forerunner of the true Messiah. And then not long after the angel talked to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, the angel came to Mary and told Mary that she will have a son, though she was not yet married to Joseph. She uh, is is supernaturally uh, given a son that she will carry in her womb, and this would become Jesus, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus is the one who would not just bring a sacrifice to God on behalf of our sin, but Jesus would give himself as the sacrifice for our sin. And God would raise him up on the third day. And Jesus stands as the true prophet, priest, and king of of his people. And so we will leave off there for now. I hope you can join us next week as we continue on this journey in the book of 1 Samuel. God bless for now. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Tune in next time and we'll see what happens as our story continues. Remember, if you would like to write to us or find out more information, you can find us online at www.kidsway.ca. And don't forget to head over to www.soulmusic.ca to find many more songs that Jamie Souls has written and recorded. See you next time. May God bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you. 